Well, good morning, family. Good morning as well, all you watching at home as well. What a joy it is to be here this morning, to be able to gather together and to worship our Lord Jesus, to enjoy the goodness of the many, many blessings He has given to us. Blessings of health, of strength, of food, of church family. Give thanks to the Lord for He has for He is good, as we just read. His steadfast love endures forever. Not only the material blessings, but the spiritual blessings that abound to us. As the Scripture says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Well, as we come together to open the Word this morning, uh, we're going to be in the book of Second Thessalonians, and you can turn there. But as we begin... Uh, Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do come together with hearts filled with thanksgiving. We're grateful for this season that reminds us to be thankful. The, The season that allows us to take a little time to pause, to step back and to ponder all of the blessings we have. Blessings of prosperity, blessings physically health and strength, life, family, friends, the blessings most of all, Father, that are richest, the ones that we have in You. New life now, relationship with You, life forevermore to come, a sweet fellowship of walking through this life in relation with You. So I do pray that in these days this week as we Take a little time that we will think all the more and all the deeper about the wondrous gifts that you have given. And may our hearts overflow in thanksgiving. We do this morning ask for your blessing and your grace in our nation. As we give thanks for the many gifts that we have, we also recognize that there is much amiss in our world We are in a nation that is sliding ever farther away from you and ever more into wickedness. And Father, we pray for revival in our land. Father, that also causes us to look deep in our hearts and realize we are in need of revival as well. We ask that you would draw us near to yourself. Even this morning as we, we come to your word, may we see more of you and of your heart and may we See ourselves in the pages of Scripture here, both those things that are good and those things that need attention, those things that need correction. So, Father, we ask that you would revive us and draw us near to you. Father, we, we this morning bring before you uh, our missionary partner of the week. They're working among people who are unreached with the gospel of Christ. We ask your blessing upon them. And this morning I as well bring before you our brother Chuck Bowman who had a heart attack and has been unconscious since then, since yesterday. He's in the hospital at this moment and we ask your grace upon him. We ask that you would heal him and restore him to health. It is his desire I know in everything in his life uh, and in his illness here to give honor and praise to you. May you be glorified. Now Father... Open our hearts that we might be receptive, our ears that we might hear, 
to all that You have for us in this text of Scripture. To that end, we commit ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I hope you have the Scripture open. It's always helpful to have the, the Word of God open where you can follow along in the text. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. We're working our way through this little book and just a, a couple of weeks left. Today here in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul opens with the words, Finally, brothers. And it begins actually like a typical preacher's joke. Because Paul says, finally, and then he proceeds to write an additional 50% as much material as he's already written. And uh, you say, yeah, we, we have that pastor here, done that. Back in the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, when you look back, you discover that there he says as well, finally, and he goes on for two more chapters. The old comedian George Burns, who been deceased for several decades, but he used to say, the secret to a great sermon is to have a good beginning and a good ending, and the distance between the two as close together as possible. Of course, George Burns was not known for being a man of faith, not a godly man, so his sentiment of wanting short sermons was not surprising. But the truth is that preachers, myself included, have a tendency at times to go rather long. And uh, that led Pastor Erwin Lutzer, many of you may listen to him on the radio, who also is a professor at Moody Bible Institute. In his preaching class, uh, he often says there, if you can't strike oil in 30 minutes, stop boring A point that I'm obviously still trying to learn. But uh, Paul is not leading us on when he says here, finally, and then goes on for a while. He's not leading us on because the word that's translated here, finally, isn't intended to mean that he's almost done. So you can start getting your things together and get ready to go to the car. That's not the point. It's to signal a change in subject. It can be literally translated in addition to or besides that. See, he's covered the main reason why he's written the letter. It was to address the problem of some, some folks who had come in and stirred up trouble with some, some false teaching, some false statements, and he's addressed that already. He just finished that actually at the end of chapter 2, and now finally he's changing to some other matters, some other things. This morning we're just going to look at the first five verses here of chapter 3 and as we look here we're going to see this morning three things that really matter to Paul. We're going to get a little glimpse into the heart of Pastor Paul. Three things that they really matter, three things that are priority to him which should be as well on the heart, the heartbeat of every pastor Every elder, every minister, every missionary, every teacher, every parent. I guess I should just say it should be the heartbeat of every follower of Jesus. Let's look at these priorities this morning. He begins again. Finally, brothers, pray for us. The first of these heartbeats of Paul, the first big priority for him is this matter of prayer. 
Prayer is the heart and soul of these five verses. It begins with him asking for prayer from the Thessalonians, and he ends in verse 5 with a prayer for the Thessalonians. We've already talked about earlier in the book about the priority that the Apostle Paul put on prayer, how he was a man of prayer, and prayer was at the core of everything he did. What's different here is that It's not the Apostle Paul praying, it's the Apostle Paul asking for prayer from these Thessalonians. You see, what the Apostle Paul understands is the necessity of prayer. He places a huge importance and priority on prayer, not only to be a man of prayer, but that he needs prayer. Because the Apostle Paul puts no confidence in his own ability. He puts no confidence in his own giftings and gifts. He puts no value and confidence in his knowledge and his training and learning. Or in the gifts and the training and the uh, abilities and the knowledge of anyone else for that matter. Instead, the Apostle Paul is letting us know here that he's desperately dependent upon God's power and God's strength to equip him to do the work of the ministry. And so he asks for prayer from these Thessalonians that God will enable and empower and equip him. Just like he will later ask prayer from other churches. He'll ask prayer from the Romans in his letter to the Romans. He'll ask prayer from the church in Corinth when he writes to the Corinthians. He asks for prayer from the the church in Ephesus when he writes the book of Ephesians. He writes, he asks prayer from the church at Philippi when he writes the book of Philippians. He asks prayer from the folks at the church in Colossae when he writes the book of Colossians. You see, he's consistent in asking everyone and anyone who are believers in Christ. He said, would you pray for me? You know me. Pray for me. That tells us that he recognizes prayer is an essential for ministry. That's what led a pastor about 1,800 years later to say to his congregation these words. He said, whatever I am in the church of God this day, I owe under God's blessings to your prayers. As long as your prayers sustain me, I shall not flag nor fail. But if your prayers be gone then my power is gone, for the Spirit of God is gone. And what can I do? He recognizes he is but a man. Who was that that said that? That was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, recognized by so many as probably the greatest preacher who ever stepped into the pulpit. But he recognized that he was nothing without prayer. He well understood that the power for ministry is not in a person. The power for ministry is the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God working through that man, that person. So he was well known for when visitors would come to see the Metropolitan Tabernacle there in London where Spurgeon would preach that if he would meet visitors, he would take them downstairs down into the bowels of the church, down to the basement. For there in the basement of the church was a room, and in that room it says that almost constantly there were people there on their knees praying. So Spurgeon would then declare to those visitors, here, 
This room is the powerhouse of this church. How contrary to our modern world. In our modern world, our tendency is to focus on strategies, on methodologies, on technologies. You know, if we have lights and a fog machine, if we have a great band, if we use the right methods and the right means of advertising and promotion, if we utilize social media right, if we utilize cameras and everything else right, if we get the right strategies, then we'll be successful. And if we have a pastor with the right personality, and so we focus in our modern world so many I would say most churches in our day are focused on all the wrong things. When we look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and when we go to the church in Acts, what we discover is the focus is prayer. As I say, today we focus on all these other things, and prayer is at best an afterthought. After we've made all our plans, after we've developed our strategies, after we've got all our technology, after we've got the the right people in place, then we say, oh, Lord, God bless our plans. But you look at the first century church, and they always began with prayer, and they spent most of their time praying. We see very little time they spending strategizing. So here Paul reminds us that Every pastor, every missionary, every church, every ministry, every ministry worker, we are desperately dependent upon God's power to accomplish anything worthwhile. And prayer is the means that God has given to us to unleash His power. We need to be people of prayer. If we want God to do anything through our church, If we want God to do anything through our pastor, if we want God to do anything through our missionaries, if we want God to do anything through us in our neighborhood, we need to be people of prayer. Along with that, think for a moment about what we read here. As Paul says, finally, brothers, pray for us. Think for a moment. The writer, the author here is the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who was personally called by Jesus Christ to faith on the Damascus Road. The Apostle Paul who was taken aside for three years into Arabia where Jesus taught him personally. The Apostle Paul who is one of the twelve apostles, one of the twelve with the authority as the appointed leaders by Christ of the fledgling church. They were, as Ephesians says, the foundation upon which the church was built. Christ was the chief cornerstone, and the apostles then were the ones who gave us the Word of God and laid the foundation for the church. The Apostle Paul, who was known by many for his great intelligence and all of his great learning, He studied under the best theologians when he was a rabbi, a teacher. He was a gifted teacher. He was arguably the greatest missionary of the first century. 
The Apostle Paul, who is arguably one of the greatest Christians of all times. If I laid out enough out there, say, Paul's a pretty great guy. Notice who he's saying here. He's writing to. Remember this church in Thessalonica, none of these have been believers for probably over a year. Most of them just believers a few months. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I need you to pray for me. There is no thing here of the Apostle Paul saying, you know, guys, I pray for you all the time because you need it. If you think about it, you can shoot up a prayer, but it really doesn't matter because I got it covered. The Apostle Paul saying, finally, brothers. What brothers is saying that we're on the same plane here. Jesus Christ is head of the church and we are all simply Laborers in his field. We are workers. We are servants of Christ. He says to the, to the newest baby Christian here, you're my brother. We are, we are level here. We are all in need of prayer. We are all interdependent on one another. I need your prayers. You need mine. And the indication here is that the, the youngest baby Christian here, his prayers are just as important to the Apostle Paul as, well, the Apostle Paul's prayers, or the Apostle John, or the Apostle Andrew, or the Apostle Matthew, or any of the other apostles. That'd be an encouragement to you, no matter how young or old you may be physically, or how young or old you may be spiritually, your prayers are significant. And your brothers and sisters in Christ and your leaders in your church and the missionaries we support need your prayers. And the prayers of the baby Christian are as powerful and significant as the prayers of the most seasoned saint. What a marvelous reality here. And So through prayer, you and I stand together And we labor together with the Pauls of our day. We labor together with them and we share in the fruits of ministry with them. So let us be people of prayer. That is Paul's first heartbeat here. His second priority, his second heartbeat here is, we find it as we go on in verse 1. Follow along. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the Word of God may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. The Word of God speaks, of course, at times of the whole Scripture. I don't have time to go through, but we can also find times where the Word of God means, more specifically, the Gospel. And that is, I think, what Paul means here. He means that we need to pray that the Word of God, the Gospel will go forth. Paul's second heartbeat here in this passage, the second thing that grips his heart is the gospel. The good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. It's the good news of Jesus. That we are sinners, separated from God, alienated by God, sinners destined for hell, but God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. He says, pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. Literally, the word translates run. 
Paul is a man of Scripture. He loves the Scriptures. And I'm sure they run through his veins. And I'm sure as he writes this, he's thinking in his mind, he uses that term, that it may speed ahead because it's taken from Psalm 147, where it says in verse 15, He, God, sends out His commands to the earth. His word runs swiftly. And so he prays here. He says, you guys pray with me that the, the gospel, the word of God, the gospel will run. By the way, that's a good little hint, a good little tip on ways to pray. Sometimes some of you may, some of us may struggle because we go, what do I say? You know, I get past God, you know, bless my family, bless the missionaries. Thank you for um, uh, your blessings. Amen. One thing we can do is you pray Scripture. What has God said? And claim His Word. Claim His promises. The Apostle Paul here is thinking. It says there in Psalm 147 that when, when God sends out His commands, His Word runs swiftly. Lord, You said Your Word runs. Well, then let's pray it. God, make the Gospel run. Put Nikes on the Gospel. You know, Put wings on it. Let it run. Let it go. See, what Paul is saying, may the gospel spread quickly. That is exactly what Paul has committed himself, his life to doing. To spread the gospel. To take it where it has not been heard to people who have not heard it. And so the Apostle Paul has devoted his life to going from city to city, from place to place. And he pushes on despite the hardships of travel in those days. He pushes on despite the dangers of travel in those days. He pushes on despite opposition, despite persecution, despite beatings, despite shipwrecks and all the other things he endured. Because he wants to get the gospel to those who have not heard. You know, it's amazing to look back. To look back and to see that in response to... Prayers like this. God, let your word speed. Let it run. And God answered that prayer. God answered it through the labors of Paul, through the labors of the other apostles, through the labors of believers in those days. And to look back and to realize that in a mere, in that first century, just the 70 years after Christ, the gospel went from Jerusalem into Samaria and into all Judea. Excuse me, Jerusalem into all Judea to Samaria. And then it went to the ends of the earth. It went from Israel into Damascus, into Syria. It went from Syria into Asia. The Gospel went from Asia over to Macedonia. Paul is there here in Thessalonica, in Macedonia, he's writing this letter from Greece to Macedonia. Later, it will make it to Rome, to Italy, and even beyond Italy to Spain. It makes it all the way throughout the whole Roman Empire into places like Egypt, even up into France. He makes it beyond the Roman world. And as tradition says, it, the gospel went to places like Ethiopia. The gospel went to India. 
The gospel went to Russia. This was 70 years, within 70 years of Christ, in days where there's no printed media, there's no radio, there's no TV, there's no telephone, there's no internet. Was there ever a time when there was no internet? Surely you jest. How can it be? Ladies and gentlemen, this is remarkable. It's not only remarkable, it's supernatural. The only way that this happened is the power of God working through the people of God to accomplish the purpose of God to spread the gospel far and wide. In our day, today, there are over seven, almost eight billion people on planet Earth. It's been said that over half the people who have ever lived are alive this very day. The tragic thing, brothers and sisters, is that two millennia after Christ, at the time when half the world's population is alive, half the world's population of all time is alive, there are still a quarter to a third of the people on this planet who exist with little or no access to the gospel. If they wanted to hear about Jesus, there is no one to tell them where they are. And the reality is that the majority of us who have received the gracious gift of Christ, who have forgiveness and reconciliation with God by the grace of God, that reality has not broken our heart. For we have not embraced with Paul this heartbeat of the gospel. There are people who do not know Jesus Christ. They've never heard the name and how can they be how can they call upon him and be saved if they have not heard and how can they hear if there is not a preacher and how can one preach unless he's sent now, brothers and sisters that's why this church and one of the things i love about this church you have a heart for the gospel and you have a heart to get the gospel out to the world but may it break our heart all the more that it moves from something that we we think of occasionally or even regularly to something that is a priority, and a passion of our heart. We have people around us who need to hear, and there are people in the far corners of the world who need to hear. We need to pray along with Paul and along with the Thessalonians. God, speed your word. Put wings on the gospel. It's exactly, by the way, what Jesus told us to pray. You recall Luke chapter 10, Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. Father, may it break our heart and may we do something about it, whatever he puts on our heart to do. But let's pray. But Paul isn't content with just saying pray for the spread of the gospel, that it may speed 
rapidly to those who haven't heard. Notice he goes on, pray for us that the word of our Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. What Paul is concerned about is the reception the gospel gets. He's concerned that it is honored. In other words, that to be honored means that it's received and it's believed. You see, Paul went out as, as this preacher and he went from city to city, but often when he would go, he's met with apathy. People just aren't really interested. But even more often, he's met with opposition and persecution. But there are times where it's met with joy. Like he says, what happened to you? When, when Paul got to Thessalonica, he had been in Philippi and that wasn't received very well there. But when he got to Thessalonica, he was only there a short time, just a few weeks at most, a few months. And in that little bit of time, people were like, wow, this is awesome. And when he left, there was a, a church full of young believers who were excited about following Jesus. Now the opposition caught up and there was, there was persecution and these, these folks are under persecution. And that's why Paul had to leave. But there's a church there because these folks were eager to hear. They're still eager. Many of our missionaries are in hard places. Places where few want to hear about Jesus. I think of folks like John and Hannah on Paradise Island. Think of places that are difficult like France, Mongolia, Philippines, southern Philippines. Think of places like Lake St. Louis, Winsville. Places where few want to hear. We need to pray that the message will be received and believed. He goes on in verse 2. He continues talking about the gospel. He says, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Just as God works through believers to spread the gospel, the enemy, Satan, works through wicked and evil men to attempt to thwart the gospel, to stop it, to slow it down. And oftentimes that opposition comes in form of direct opposition and persecution. The Thessalonian believers are experiencing that persecution even as Paul writes them this letter. It's part of the reason to write the first and the second letters to encourage these folks. They understand that the gospel is often opposed and resisted. Acts chapter 18, we discover that the Apostle Paul in Corinth, where he's writing this letter from to the Thessalonians, that there in Corinth Paul has experienced He's experiencing opposition and persecution, Acts chapter 18. So sometimes that opposition is from the outside, from outright persecution and obstacles. But sometimes the attacks come from the inside. You see, as Paul warns here, not all have faith. There sometimes are people on the inside of the church who are not of the church, you see. They are there, they look like Christians, they talk like Christians, they sit in the pews, but they have no relationship with Christ. Sometimes those are the ones whom Satan will use to stir up trouble. 
And as he says, the, the word, by the way, here in the text, by wicked and evil, that word evil literally translates out of place. By wicked men who are out of place, for not all have faith. Now, does that kind of make sense? The Thessalonians have experienced that already as well. That's the reason for this letter. There have been some people who are there in the church who have come claiming to have a word from God and a word from Paul, but they're lying. So Paul's prayer request here is not just about, would you pray that God protects us from persecution? It's not about personal safety. It's not about personal comfort. His concern is of the gospel May the gospel be protected from opposition on the outside and opposition on the inside. Wherever it is that Satan is working to stop the the movement and the effectiveness of the gospel, may God deliver us from that. That's his concern. Not only the spread of the gospel and the reception of the gospel, but the protection of the gospel message. Again, I think I mentioned... I mentioned John and Hannah on Paradise Island. I think not only of them, but Moody and Rapeda in the southern Philippines, our missionaries of the week. I think of Brother Alex in Indonesia. Those three missionary partners in particular are in places where danger is very real. The likelihood of persecution is Always imminent. The opposition and the threats are almost daily. Do we pray for them faithfully? The Lord would deliver them so that the message may go out unhindered. I think of Jordan and Elizabeth Hines in the dunes. Our newest missionaries, Jack and Jania Thompson in Indonesia. Both of them are in places and in situations where at any moment they can be shut down. How we need to pray that the gospel will go forth unhindered through these partners of ours in ministry. The heartbeat of Paul for the gospel should likewise be our heartbeat. That the life-giving message of Jesus would spread quickly. That it would be received joyfully. And that it will go out unhindered. We need to pray that way faithfully. The third priority of Paul's ministry, the third heartbeat of his, is really found in the rest of the great commission, the great mission that Jesus gave to us to do. Yes, we are to share the gospel. We are to be witnesses for Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You are to be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But the gospel is bigger than just getting people to be saved. You see, believing in Jesus is about following Jesus. The gospel is bigger than just saving people from hell. It's about transforming people now. The mission that Jesus gave for us to do, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, most of us know it well. Go therefore and make disciples, that word is followers, 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. See, it's not just getting people to make a decision to follow Christ. It's about creating followers of Christ. That is Paul's third heartbeat in this passage. It's about maturing, growing followers of Jesus. Maturing the saints. It's about building up the church or building up believers. Paul is very concerned that these young believers in Thessalonica He's concerned for them. He wants to see them grow up in their faith to mature and be strong in Jesus Christ. That's why he's written these two letters, First and Second Thessalonians, just within a few months of each other. Because of his deep concern that they grow, that they mature. And to this end, as we get to the end, and I start to wrap it up finally, see, it really is, that he gives three little tidbits, three marvelous things. Two words of encouragement and a word of prayer to this aim of building up the church. The first encouragement I find there in verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. and He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. The first word of encouragement is this. God is Faithful. Dear saints in Thessalonica, he's saying, I understand you're being persecuted. Man, you're in the midst of the fire right now. It's hot. It's difficult. But know this, God is faithful. What God has started, God will finish. God will complete the work that He has done in you. Because God always finishes what He starts. A little while later, Paul's going to write another letter. He's going to write it to the Philippians. And the, the town of Philippi was the town that Paul went to before he went, went to Thessalonica. And in that letter, chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be, bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is going to get you there. He's going to get you all the way home. I'm sure of it. See, Paul is writing words of encouragement. Brothers and sisters, the work here that God began among you is God's work. It wasn't Paul's work. And God is going to finish it. God is going to establish you, he says. He will establish you. That means that He's going to grow and mature and strengthen you. He's going to build you from within so that you can stand. He says not only is God going to establish you, not only is He going to grow you, but also He's going to guard you. He's going to protect you from the evil one. God is going to protect you from the outside. He's going to grow you from the inside and He's going to protect you from the outside against the onslaught and the attacks of the evil one. And you can count it because God is faithful. I'm sure that you see that, that some of these folks there in Thessalonica were saying, boy, we just wish that Paul would come back here. Paul, how we need Paul right now because it's tough. And, and not only do we have persecution, but we have this problem with these false teachers coming in. And it's tough, and we need Paul. And Paul is saying, hey guys, 
not my church. It's not my work. It's Jesus' work. He's going to finish what he started. See, apostles and missionaries and pastors and leaders, we get sick. We get old. We, in Paul's case, sometimes get imprisoned. Lots of things happen, but the work of God goes on because the work of God isn't the man. Remember? It's God working through His people to do His work. Paul says God's faithful. He's going to get you there. Second word of encouragement. It's a very personal one. Look at verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. We have confidence in you. Guys, we know it's tough. But God is faithful. He's going to stand with you. Your part is to hang in there. Keep going. You've been faithful to, to learn God's Word, listen to God's Word, be reminding yourself of God's Word, and you've been faithful to, to keep doing it. And now we have confidence that you're going to keep going. Keep obeying. It's both a command, and at the same time, he says, we have confidence. You know what that is? He's saying, yeah, you need to follow, you keep following Jesus, but he's saying, I know you can do it. You're going to do it. You've got this. Hang in there, guys! How many of you need to hear that every once in a while? We can all use a cheerleader, or two, or three. And Paul is sitting here being a cheerleader saying, come on guys, yeah, go, go, you can do it. It's God's work, he's, gonna, he's with you, you keep going. See, we live in a very negative world, don't we? And most of what we hear all day long is negative stuff. And what we need to hear is, come on, come on Shirley, come on Bob, come on John, you got this. Keep going. We need to learn a little lesson from Paul here. How we are to treat one another. And not only do we need that one another here, we need that with our missionary partners around the world. They need to hear from us. You got this. Hang in there. God is with you. and He's faithful. Keep going. Lastly, Paul says, hey guys, I'm praying. Not only does he say he's he, not, he didn't really say he's praying. He just starts praying. Here's the prayer, verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I know I said it's God's work, and it is. And I know I told you guys to keep, keep obeying, keep following, and you do need to. Now I'm praying that God's going to help you in the process. May God direct your hearts. And two things specifically. May God direct your hearts, he says, to the love of God. May God help you to understand, and, and as he'll later write to the Ephesians and say, he says, I pray that God will help you to understand the height and the depth and the breadth of his love for you. That's what he's saying here. May God direct your hearts to, to understand and to know God's love for you because when you understand God's love for you, it's going to change you and it's going to well up in you and it's going to start overflowing in more love for you, for God. 
and more love from you towards other people. May He grow your love by growing you in His love. And secondly, He says, may He direct your hearts to the steadfastness of Christ. That word steadfastness simply means to endure. May God direct your hearts so that you get the strength to endure that Jesus had. May God make you strong like Jesus. Jesus endured to the end. Several places we find in the New Testament where it says He endured. He endured faithfully all the way to the end. He's saying may God give you that kind of strength. That whatever you're going through right now today in your life, whatever is going on at home, whatever is going on at school, whatever is going on at work, whatever is going on in your neighborhood, whatever is going on in your family, may God give you the grace to endure. To endure it, to live there, to stand there like Jesus. To live like Jesus would in your situation. Well, we need that kind of prayer, don't we? The Apostle Paul says, pray for me. And he prays for them. Brothers and sisters, pray for me. Pray for your elders. Pray for your missionaries. Pray for one another. May we, as pastors and elders, may we pray for you in like manner. May these heartbeats be our heartbeats. And you know what? If we start praying like this, And prioritizing like this, it will change everything. Father, what a challenging text on one hand and yet so comforting on another. It's so simple and yet it's exactly what we need. It is exactly what is needed in your church today. Father, we need to have, we need need to be people of prayer. We need to be praying for others and we need others to be upholding us in prayer because without prayer, without Your power working through us, we can accomplish nothing. And Father, we need to have Your heart for the world, Paul's heart for the world. There's a lost world, people who need to hear about Jesus. Oh, may it be our heartbeat. And Father, You have a heart for Your church The church is the bride of Christ, the people Jesus purchased with His own blood. And we need to be investing ourselves in building one another up, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, praying for one another, that we might live faithfully as people in an age where it is a hard and difficult, often antagonistic world that will stand strong with Jesus. To this end we pray and we ask your blessing this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.